Hear ye, hear ye. Hear ye, hear ye. Hear ye, hear ye. Hear ye, hear ye. Ladies and gentlemen, what you're about to listen to is an experiment in sound. Call it treating your ear. I kindly ask that you halt all activities at the present and focus on these two men. In the corner of my eye, I saw you in Rudy's. You were very high. You were high. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is David Ross. And I'm Daniel Bloom. And this is Madcap. And we are sitting here reflecting about our lovely year in review as we glide into 2014. I know exactly the song we're going to use right here, too. <laughs> what are we using? Reflections of the way life used to be. By who? Diana Ross. Diana Ross? Oh, have you ever seen Diana in concert? No, I have not. Oh, well, well you need to. Through the mirror of my mind Time after time I see reflections of you and me Reflections of the way life used to be So the, the last year has been quite a wild ride. Has it ever been? I mean, we were sitting around talking about the pieces we were going to include in this in this look back, and it's staggering to think about the places that we've been, the artists that we've met, the great music that we've experienced, the, the shenanigans that we've gotten into over the past year. It's pretty remarkable. Last January 1st, where were we? Last January 1st, I had spent New Year's Eve in New York City, and I barely made it onto a train. It was sold out for the general tickets, so I had to pop for a $200 business class one-way ticket down to D.C., which I gladly did, given that we had an unlikely but promising interview waiting for us at the newly opened Echo Stage. Newly opened. That's crazy. It is crazy. And it, <laughs> it was. It was It was newly opened. We were going to do an interview with the entire Circus Records roster, headlined by Flux Pavilion and Dr. P, also including Brown and Gammon, Cookie Monster, and Funt Case. We did it in a room which no longer exists. Exactly. And the, uh, the utmost shout out to Emily, yes. who was like bedside because uh, she was sick and arranged all this via phone. I even think she was in a hospital. Really? She may have been in a hospital. We couldn't reach their management. She gave us she gave us the Aussie's number, the Aussie's number. <laughs> Remember his name? Brendan. Nice. She she uh she linked us to Brendan and Brendan was like, "Oh yeah." Him saying and boom. Big shouts to Lanville as well. Exactly. Lanville, who's a who's a serious G. But it all goes back to Emily Meador. Yeah, Emily Emily uh Emily hooked it up and we also had the luxury of two new distinct voices premiered on Madcap that I've welcomed into my life, but Dan knew them well before me. Yeah. Um, David and I were uh, lucky enough to do the interview with Flux Pavilion and Dr. P, which we should hear a little bit of. Mm-hmm. I feel like we were never part of dubstep, and then even when we became a part of something, that shouldn't have been called dubstep. It should have. It just is what it is, electronic music. Dubstep is just a word. It doesn't mean anything, really. If you like it, you like it. That's the way I always see it. It's 
Diplo hit me up asking me how I made gold dust bass sound. <laughs> and I didn't tell him. And he was like, can I have it? And I was like, no. He's like, draw to a track together. <laughs> It was, uh, yeah, a lot more fun than it sounds. There was the whole kind of, basically it was meeting up at festivals and stuff, and he'd constantly be asking me, just like, how did you make that sound? How did you make that sound? Until I was just like, just, do you want to just do a track together? He was like, yeah, I've just picked up this Johnny Osborne vocal, actually. Do you want to do this for Major Lazer? And I obviously couldn't say no to that. And yeah, Diplo is just awesome. Like one of my main inspirations of what's going on right now is watching Diplo. So yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I love watching Diplo live and Major Lazer live. It's damn entertaining. And then this was kind of a fun moment. We moved that day from being the talent and creators and kind of the foci, if you will, of the show, we moved that day to really becoming producers because we put the microphones in the hands of Ryan and Molly Martinez and we said, go to town. We want you guys to interview Cookie Monster and Funtcase, who are kind of like the young bucks of Circus Records. They did an amazing job and Molly, ever brilliant that she is, came up with the idea of putting these guys through this rapid fire lightning round of questions and uh, we should hear a little bit of Molly rapid-fire questioning Cookie Monster. All right, so we have a list of rapid-fire questions for you. So I want you to answer as quickly and as honestly as you can. Are you ready to enter the rapid-fire round? Okay, weirdest thing that's been thrown on stage? Um, um, a banana. <laughs> or were they just happy to see you? <laughs> What's your uh, before show ritual? Cleaning my CDs. Describe Funt Case in one word. Couldn't. <laughs> What's one year's resolution? Um, drink more. Great one. What other Sesame Street characters do you flux with? Grouch. <laughs> yeah. Piercings or tattoos? Oh, tattoos. Easily tattoos. Do you love this shit? shit. No. Are you high right now? No. Do you ever get nervous? nervous? No. Are you single? I heard you fuck your girl. Is it true? You getting money? You think the niggas you with is with you? And I say, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Fucking right. Fucking right. All right. And we say, hell yeah. Hell yeah. We got a chance to talk with many great musicians but this is this is an arts and entertainment show would you say daniel absolutely yeah so we like creators I, and innovators i describe this show to people who ask me about it and many people do it's a show about music arts and culture boom boom nailed it with a period a very thick period so we had one great guest uh if anybody who ever listens to the uh what the, no the WTF podcast. Yeah, let's uh, keep it clean. Let's keep it clean. But hosted by Mark Marin, or he has a show on IFC called Marin. And we had what I consider to be a an amazing interview. I think Dan would agree. Absolutely. We did this in a Honda CRV, as we talked about in the interview. I think this is the first interview we did in the certified recording vehicle. Yeah, we were ready. He was. We, we, Mike's were ready. Marin was ready. We've done a couple more in the CRV as well that we'll maybe yeah. uh, talk about a bit later. But that that was yeah. a nice little innovate. That was a recording innovation 
David. It, it was masterstroke. I like that. You booked him, so so I'm, so it, it it worked, and and he was, I mean, special thanks to Marin because Marin was a uh, was very down to earth. He, mm-hmm. he could have been. He could have bigfooted us, and he didn't. He, he was didn't re- bigfoot us at all. He uh, he embraced our little feet, and, uh, <laughs> and, he, and he matched his little feet with ours. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure this is the first instance in Madcap's illustrious history that David decided it was appropriate to ask our guest about the first time they had sex. Well, with comedians, the thing about comedians, comedians are used to going anywhere the conversation goes. We'll get there, but yeah. this is the clip of Marin talking about performing comedy in his home synagogue in New Mexico. I did a, a sort of a benefit show for the, for the synagogue that I grew up in in Albuquerque. They asked me to come back, and I was nervous about performing in the sanctuary. Did you have a bar mitzvah? Yeah. Oh, so you're back on the home bima. Yes. Oh, baby. It was wild, and I was, like, nervous, and I was, like... Um, you know, I said to the, you know, the, the, the guy, you know, the guy who'd been there since I was younger, the superintendent of the show, I said, do I wear a yarmulke? Do I have to wear a yarmulke in there? You know, because, you know, I mean, it is the sanctuary. And he's like, yeah, I think you do. And I did. And I was nervous because, like, you know, some of the older Jews were going to be there, but a lot of people were coming out from outside. And, like, and I, you know, they didn't want me to cuss. And I, I certainly didn't want to cuss on the Bema. So it was weird because I, I, you know, before the show, I went into the sanctuary myself and I went up on the Bema and I just went, shit, fuck, cunt, god damn it, fuck. <laughs> and I said, like, look, if you're there, God, that was between me and you and I just wanted to get that out before, between us, <laughs> you know, and not, you know, with people in here. So, so no disrespect, you know, I, just, I think you get it. <laughs> this is going to be a bit of a personal question, but tell us the Mark Marin losing a virginity story. So good. You're lying here next to me. Oh, that was awkward. It didn't go well. Uh, you know, uh, I was working at a restaurant when I was in high school and uh, by the university, and you know, and I think that like the guy who owned the place had a lot invested in, you know, me losing my virginity, and he, <laughs> I think he actually was trying to get waitresses to do it. And offering them things, maybe money, even. But, but I ended up uh, the, one of the waitresses, this girl Cheryl, who looked sort of like Diane Keaton, was kind of hippie. She like came up to me at the restaurant on the shift and said, "Today, come over, you know, bring champagne and, and we'll do it." What type of champagne did you bring? Yeah, I don't remember. You know, I probably yeah. You know, I, I was 14, so I didn't even know where I got it. <laughs> I just like wait outside, or 15 maybe. I had to wait outside a liquor store and get some guy to buy it for me. But I remember I was very nervous, and it all ended very quickly. And you know, it, it <laughs> took a while to get into the saddle there, and uh, it was not a great experience. I, I don't think it, you know I really got the hang of of uh, sex until uh, I was you know my second year of college. Another comedian uh, that we had was the, I can call her beautiful. Beautiful, talented. <laughs> beautiful, talented. Whip smart. Yeah. Aisha Tyler. Aisha Tyler from the Bay Area. And she's a voice on Archer. She's a comedian. She does a podcast. Yeah, she does a podcast called Girl on Guy. Yeah. Oh, man, I would love that. Uh, who, whose line is it anyway? Uh, she's on that show on the CW. Prolific. And she also is on The Talk she had a book out called Self-Inflicted Wounds, and she she graciously spoke to Daniel and I with a 
very quiet Michael Reed in the room. We had a friend who we had a friend who agreed to come in. Was Chops in the room for that? Yes, didn't say anything. You just hear him giggle. <laughs> I think we might have introduced him in the beginning too, and we then he did. said nothing. And I cut him out. I cut him out in the final because I'm like, you're not talking. Shout out to Jerry, Jerry, uh, for for helping arrange that on the back end. So she spoke to us about her life, about about her career, and what and what it meant to write the hilarious and revelatory book, Self Inflicted Wounds. Releasing these self inflicted wounds for yourself, how does that make you feel? Like airing, you know, what I'm saying these humiliations, how does that make you feel? It's freeing. I really think that like the best thing to do with things that have things that are happening in life that are embarrassing is to adopt a, 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 an uncompromising sunshine policy and put everything out there in the open. Because when you have secrets, especially secrets that are embarrassing, A, they kind of wound you psychologically, and B, they can be used as weapons against you by people that mean you harm. So, mm. you know, it's always better if you can be like, ah, oh my God, I was such a jackass last night, before someone else is like, oh my God, you were such a jackass last night. You know, you, it's your, you own it. And I always teased a lot as a kid and, and bullied a lot. And, and, you know, part of probably one of the reasons why I'm a comedian now is this. I was like, well, I'm to make fun of myself faster and better than you ever could before you ever even get to it i'm gonna rip myself so 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 well and so funnily that you're just gonna have to shut your mouth and so i think that's part of it is that you just you tell these stories it's a huge relief you're not holding them in they lose their power over you other people lose their power over you and everybody loves the guy you know no one wants to hang out with the guy that runs into the bar after work and like oh my god guys i nailed it at work today ate the presentation got promoted i got a new suit look at my office everybody wants to punch that guy in the neck right but everybody loves the guy who comes running in like one shoe and one bare foot totally damp with his pockets turned out and goes oh my god guys i think i just set my house on fire have you seen my puppy everybody wants that guy to sit down and like tell us dude sit we'll buy you a beer tell us what happened so um those are the best stories and i've always been you know my friends and i are always combination of self-deprecating and like really like searingly insulting to each other and so in my group it was always better to make fun of yourself before anybody else could uh could unload on you and uh so i loved it it was great it was very freeing okay well we got uh, just we've got just two more questions all right uh this is a bit of a personal question we always ask this to comedians but um would you please tell us the story the losing of virginity for aisha tyler's story No. <laughs> um, I will say that uh, it was I was I was um, forgettable and quickly faded into the past in favor of much more exciting episodes that happened happened after that. But no, nothing nothing worth nothing worth recreating in vivid detail for you right now on the internet. That's for sure. David, one of my favorite parts about this show is that uh, we're often lucky enough to have artists give us a good chunk of time. It's not just like a little five minute. Tell me about your album. Tell me about your tour. Thanks a lot. You know, we get a chance to dig a little bit deeper and we talk about the influences behind songs and people's careers and how they grew up and the music that they listened to. One of my favorite interviews that we did this year was at the 930 Club. Big shouts to 930 Club for hosting us so many times. We've done yes. some some great interviews there. We've had a lot of fun there. And this is uh, the Israeli group Balkan Beatbox. We were able to speak to Tamir Muscat and Tomer Yosef from that group. This was a fine, fine production job done by our third leg of the stool, Afim Shapiro. They did a great job on this one. And in this uh, in this clip, Tomer talks about the song Blue-Eyed Black Boy, which you really liked. 
and we weren't really sure about the origin of this song, but it turned out to be a nice heartfelt moment. Yeah, there's a song, Blue Eyed Black Boy. That song is actually my favorite about the uh, previous album. Not because... Blue Eyed Black Boy? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a blue-eyed black I'm male, in, but... Uh, I'm in love with that song as well. Man. Yeah, that's... Uh, I actually listened to it in the bathtub, and it gets <laughs> me in, it me a good All place. right, tell me more. <laughs> Yes, was that uh, what inspired that song? Was it an actual Blue Eyed Black Boy that you ran into that inspired that song? Actually, it started because Tamil was uh, started the beat like before we came into the studio. He just made the beat and he decided to like dedicate the beat to my unborn baby and he called it Blue Eyed Yaman Boy. And that inspired me to write a song about a blue eyed black boy that does not belong anywhere and belongs everywhere. If you look into my eyes, you'll see the color blue. If I look at you, I'll see a human who is living in this town like I live every day. Trying to survive, trying to find his way. If you're looking at my skin, you'll see the color black. We better look ahead than look back. We better make this town a better place to live in. Cause what you're gonna get Another interview that was close to our hearts was the interview with with the producer Ninth Wonder. Those who Ninth Wonder uh, produced so many people, so many, so much music, so much. Many would know him with him being the producer behind Little Brother and also his mixtapes, Dream Merchant One and Two. He's done a beat for Jay Z, for for Drake, Erica Badu, Mary J. Blige, a lot of people, a lot of people. Very yeah. humble guy, very down-to-earth guy. Extremely humble, extremely down-to-earth. Based in North Carolina. Based based in North Carolina. Not and known as a hotbed of the music industry, but he's very proud to be from there and keeps no. his roots very close to his heart. No, there's, there's actually a funny clip on this documentary about him where the guy's like, there's no way you're living down there with beats like that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, yeah, he's, he's, Beth one is amazing. And he agreed to speak with us, and uh, we were late to this interview, mainly because we were celebrating, it was Martinez's birthday. It was Ryan Martinez's birthday. That's I couldn't why. remember the context yeah. of why we were late. It was Ryan Martinez's birthday. We were caught up. I was, Molly gave an amazing toast to her brother, and we hadn't left yet because everything, I mean, it was it, it was pure joy. It was flowing. It was pure joy and pure flowing, and we underestimated the time it would take us to arrive, also underestimated that we didn't, ha- we had one little technical hang-up. We didn't have batteries. God, I will never make that mistake again. I, ke- I carry batteries in my bag, whether or not we're doing recordings, every day now. But you know what the crazy thing about it was? There were batteries in the car. Oh! <laughs> there were batteries in the car. So I remember, we got back. this is going to be at the Howard Theater, because um, Ninth Wonders record label, Jamla Records, they brought the whole roster down there, and they had a whole showcase at the Howard Theater. Very talented roster. They're waiting for us behind the Howard Theater. I am running to the 7-Eleven on U Street, I get the AA batteries, I put them in, and I test it, and what you're going to hear is me running down the street, trying to get as fast as I can to David, who's waiting for me in front of the Howard Theater, and we're about to jump back behind it and see, see, uncertain at this point, if we're going to be able to nab this interview with Ninth Wonder. In the middle of the road, at the Wells Fargo, between T and U, approaching the Howard Theater, revamped. Theater approaching David Ross on foot. David Ross, here we go. 
This is some gorilla shit right here. Gotcha journalism. Gotcha. Just some journalists, don't worry about us. You missed it. You missed it. Am I going to leave? We've been standing out here for like 20 minutes. After I talk to you. Yeah, you missed it this time, buddy. There's Mr. Knife Wonder right there. What's going on? Hi. Are you, hey, are you still willing to join the interview or is it too? Oh, yeah. Um. You have five. You have five minutes. Can we step over? Here? Yes. <laughs> Who else? Did you interview anybody else? Oh yeah. Relatively, we got. We just got here. So you want to bring somebody else in? Okay. Okay. You have five minutes. Okay. okay. All right. Everybody, load up. Let's be out. Music as a healer. Music as an educator. This is part of what you're embodying right now. Right. right. Somebody has to do it. Uh, it's a dirty job. <laughs> um, but I revel in that as a part of my brand, as a part of my life. My mother's been an educator since 1973, so I guess that's where I get it from. Um, and my dad is a self-made man, um, a professional landscaper, and he retired from R.J. Reynolds, but he always believed in learning something, learning a craft, and making a living from it, supporting his family. So my craft is beats, so that's what I did. I am so joyous that we were able to make that happen. Absolutely. Special thanks to Tia for for not honking the horn of the van and being like, we got to go. We got to go. Get him out of here. She was so funny. You missed it. You missed it. <laughs> it and special thanks to Nice Wonder for he agreed to give us five minutes. And, and Luminati. And Luminati. Remember, we, we met our friend Luminati that night, and he got he snapped a picture of us that's the the cover for that that episode. Yeah, we met we – met that's the best part about something we – we never know who we're going to meet besides the artist, and we've met a lot of great people in these interviews, uh, not, uh, not, not just the artist, the people, the people that are around, the people that are part of just kind of the artistic movement, I like to call mm -hmm. it. Another interview that we were lucky to land was one at Dan's favorite, actually, I can say it's one of my favorite venues now, too, uh, U Street Music Hall. We were in the basement of U Street Music Hall to speak with the pioneers of a specific genre of music. And Dan, shed light on what this is. Well, anybody who talks to me for probably five or ten minutes about what I like to do in life knows that I love U Street Music Hall. And if you ask what my favorite regular night at U Street Music Hall is, it's obviously Moombatone Massive. Moombatone being kind of a hybrid of the old reggaeton style with a dembo beat. So Dave Nada, native of Adelphi, Maryland, Matt Nordstrom, also from the area, they team up and they're called Nadastrom. Dave Nada comes up with this idea, I'm going to slow down Dutch House Records. He links up with DJ Sabo at the time living in New York. Now Sabo and Nadastrom both live in LA. And Munchi is this Dominican Dutch kid who from Rotterdam with the crazy hair and just this awesome spirit whose unbridled creativity blows everybody away. Niggas is funny. From Rotterdam, with the crazy hair and just this awesome spirit whose unbridled creativity blows everybody away. 
But that was a really special interview. I remember we crowded down in there. We had Jess in the room. Big shout out to Jess. Like. We had Afim Shapiro in the room, acting as our recording engineer. Mm -hmm. And we had me and you, so that's four of us, and there was four of them in this tiny, not even the main green room at U Street Music Hall, the side green room. Jackets came off. Yeah, it was like eight people in a tiny, tiny space, and they could not have been more accommodating. They gave us as much time as they possibly could before sound check. It was such a good interview. We really enjoyed it, and I went to town on this production. I have never felt more personally close to a production. I put a lot of love into this one and uh the clip i think we should hear is from munchi because as much as i love nadostrom and sabo they are a little bit more accessible munchi rarely comes to the united states and the fact that we could get into a room with him and he was so gracious with us i think is uh is truly amazing it's a day i'll never forget let's hear a little bit of this piece this is mad cat with Moombatone massive <laughs> Hold on, I gotta give my man a hug. Yeah, of course. No, no. We take a pause for the entrance of Munchi into the room. DC. What's good, man? I'm Dan. Thank you very much for being here. In the city, on the show, whatever, man. We're just happy to have you in DC. <laughs> All right, so introduce yourself to the people who just came up in. Ah, uh, what? <laughs> oh, shit, what? <laughs> so introduce yourself, bro. Oh, uh, my name is Rajiv Munchi, aka Rajiv Munch. One of the most prolific and forward-thinking producers working today. A Dutchman with Dominican roots. He was a lover of reggaeton. I was always a reggaeton producer. But Munchi soon became disillusioned. And I was really disappointed in the genre because it, it became like more about, you know, money than, than the music itself. So all of a sudden, bam, in my face, when, when I'm like coming home after, after being disappointed because like I didn't have money to go out on the computer at home and searching for music because that's what I like to do most because I'm a music nerd. So that's what I did, and then I saw that shit, and I was like, oh fuck, what the fuck is this shit? And then like, dude, like my mind was blown, like it was never before, like, like something comparable to that was when I first heard reggaeton, but this was even better, because I was already like looking into like mixing house with reggaeton, but it never worked out. But sometimes things are so much in your face, because I'm from Holland, right? <laughs> But I, I just, dude, I was listening to uh, to 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 uh, Mumba from from, um, from from fucking Afrojack, the remix that he did. And it never occurred to me, but but I knew that it was like the perfect like, you know like. Bubbling, like, but like, oh man. So like, then he did that shit, and I was like, dude, that's, that's genius. If you in DC, just turn up the bass. 
so that then like when I heard that shit, I was like so fucking inspired. Like I, I, I immediately started to work on tracks and in the same night I made like five tracks or something and then I, I would just put it up, I made it this cheap ass cover, I, I went on Google and then searched a picture of like Pere or something, you know, and I saw a girl and a dude who were like, ah, and, <laughs> and, then, and then I just I just put like a font on that I found on the font, you know, <laughs> listen up kids, uh, you know, like, you know, you have free fonts over there, so I'm like, okay, this was cool, and like, blah, blah, did it, bam. Was Sandungeo really the first song you made when you heard it? Yes, it is. That's crazy. And you still play that song. It's yeah. always shout out to Nibutu because Nibutu was the one that that, that uh, got to Dave and he said like yo you gotta check out this shit because he was like really if something Mumotong came out he was like the first one to to know it you know yeah. and then he, he uh, contacted him and then Dave contacted me and I was like oh shit What I was thinking about earlier is you're like a physical manifestation of this music because you're, your family's from the Dominican, right? Oh, uh, yeah. But you're raised in Holland. Yeah. So you have both of these types of music that went into creating Moonbatone in you already. Well, yeah, and I'm a music nerd. And, and you're a music nerd. So this was going to work out for you, and the timing was just right. Definitely, definitely. I like... Madcap with Moombatone Massive, one of my favorite pieces ever. Another one of my favorite pieces, David, this one, uh, the credit has to go to you because I remember you went up to the Made in America Festival in Philadelphia, for which we did a really fun preview. Uh, we were granted press passes, and that's the first time that you encountered the work of Aluna George. So shed some light on your journey from first hearing them to how we ended up in an elevator with them. Aluna Francis, George Reed. I gave them a listen. I saw, I saw, I saw they were on the lineup, and I gave gave them a listen, and I was like, "Wow, wow, this is this is a George George Reed's beats are extremely melodic, and and I like the I like extremely chilled out melodic beats. They put they put me at ease, and they had they had an amazing set up in Made in America in Philly. It was hot as hell, hot as hell in Philadelphia." And special thanks to Stephanie for uh, making dreams come to fruition <laughs> and allowing us, Stephanie uh, from Motormouth, <laughs> from Motormouth Media, and uh, allowing dreams to come to fruition for uh, providing us 
uh, a Luna George for for a good thirty to forty minute interview in an elevator. Uh, also, special thanks to Johnny for for handling everything in the back end. He was cool. He was cool. Spoke to us about Eastbound and Down and his love for it. And Ken it, Lazy also hooked us up that night. Ken Lazy hooked us up as well from U Street Music Hall. But but it was great. Re it was the first time we done or not. We didn't do it in the elevator. We started in the elevator. We did it in the lobby as people kept trickling down from from doing yoga upstairs. We even tried to mic some of the. I even tried to mic some of the women in Lululemon pants that were coming down. They weren't talking. <laughs> they were. Yeah, they weren't talking. But they were. Everybody was very like. They saw mics rolling. Everybody had a demeanor like, oh, let me be quiet. Let me oh, tip, something's happening. Let me tiptoe out of here. It's like it's like. We're, sorry, we're just invading your personal space. But uh, but no, it was it was fun and Aluna. She has beef. Oh, let's just hear what Aluna Francis thinks of tea. I think the first, like, deep conversation was about how to make tea. Mm. And <laughs> let's talk about it. <laughs> let's talk about it. That's so British. I love that. You guys have an electric kettle? What? Uh, do you have an electric tea kettle? That stunned me when I went to Britain. Everybody had an electric kettle, and I was like, I know, I What is this thing where you put like a thing on gas and yeah. then you pour from that? And I mean, it's barbaric, come isn't on. it? I know. Gas and more. We're way behind. I always think that your kettle is broken when you when that happens. I'm like, oh. like some horrible shrieking sound and yeah, the yeah. whistle thing. That is so old school. Get <laughs> um, get with the tea. Well, it's, it's pretty basic, you know, it's kind of... You don't know how to make tea, and I know how to make tea. That's, that's it, that's basic. <laughs> it's different strokes for different folks, you know. It's, I love it. This is tea shit talking right here. <laughs> you know about tea. It's basic, she likes it strong as hell, and I think that if you let the, the bag brew for that long, that you get all the weird glues coming off the bag, and you get this weird scummy stuff on top, and... She can vibe off it, but I, <laughs> I found um, a tea brand the other day that was actually called Builder's Tea in, in Britain, and I went crazy. I was like, the job's done. I don't have to leave it in there too long. It's going to be as black as the night within a few minutes. And I'm afraid I'm, I'm struggling here with your tea bags. Understandable. Um, no offense you know, taken. I love America, but I do not like your tea. Fact. Understood. Don't you David, I know the first time that you ever heard of Aluna George was through a tweet from our buddy Oliver Jones, a.k.a. Scream. You're right. You remind me of this. I, I forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Oliver Jones, me and Fernando Madrigal, formerly of Print the Legend. Is um, it defunct? I don't know. <laughs> we went north 
to see Scream. Uh, special thanks to uh, Elliot and the people from Steve's promo for for helping arrange things at uh, at the Theater of Living Arts on South Street, which is an, which is an amazing venue. I love amazing venues that look like old theaters. I was originally told by the stage manager that uh, this is an eccentric I'll be dealing with, mm-hmm. and he will only grant you five to ten minutes. And somehow. A few uh, glasses of vodka later, uh, that interview lasted for about two hours. <laughs> we cut it down to, to six minutes because it was a bit wild. But uh, we really got to know Oliver Jones, and he was—he's definitely been a highlight of the year. It was a—it was a great time to talk to him about how he how he got to be who he is. So Oliver has a funny story about how he even ended up in this world, uh, in this in this world that I know he loves so much and, we, and, we, and we're very thankful he's a part of. Here's him shedding light and telling that special story. I worked in a record shop. That will mean nothing to nobody now because they don't, because there's no record shop. There's no more record shop. But yeah. like, I, I never went to school, so I'd, I'd go and work, I'd go and stand in there. If like, I stood in the record shop for so long that they said, do you want a job? Because I was just standing at the back. Like, I knew everyone there. Uh-huh. And they're like, if you're going to stand here all day, you might as well do something. <laughs> like, I'm so glad I worked in, like, the, with the people I worked in a record shop and whatever. I learned how to talk to talk to someone who was on their break from, uh, like, working gas. Right. Or working telephone poles. Or working... Yeah. You learn how to talk to everyone in a social environment and be, be polite. Most of the time when we do interviews, it's David and I out there in the field or bringing in an artist into the studio. And one of the two of us usually is kind of the driving force of the interview. The parlance that we use is one of us will say like, all right, you're driving or I'm driving, which means that you're going to be kind of the primary question asker. You're going to be the one who's pushing this forward. But I derive great joy from the pieces that I have little to nothing to do with. The ones that I feel close to, obviously, like Moonbatone is a close one. Will Eastman, that's the ones that I'm driving and I'm producing, and it's like, this is my baby. But, oddly enough, when I hear the piece with Zed's Dead, this is a piece that I was out of the country for the recording and production of. This is the sound of Dylan Mamad and Zach Raproven, known as Zed's Dead, a world-renowned production squad based in Toronto, Ontario. On their way to a midnight show at DC's new Echo Stage, Zed's Dead crossed paths with Madcap. DC and Hooks, how y'all doing? Welcome to Washington, DC. Thanks for having us. I'm David Ross. Afim Shapiro's on the mobile ones and twos. Dan Bloom is in paradise. So we recruited Afim Shapiro almost specifically for this purpose. I think this was the first act that he ever did in he terms treated of treated it like it was his tryout. Well, I mean, he, he <laughs> not only did he record it beautifully with his own equipment, the production of this piece. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it, just talking about it. It remains, if not my favorite, one of my favorite pieces of radio I've ever heard. Not just on this show, but on any show. And although it's on, you know, a show that I claim ownership of, I had nothing to do with this episode. Afim and I did a interview with with Zach and Dylan of Zed's Dead at a hotel in DC. A special thanks to the tour manager Josh, the boss who who created a very sixty minute like setup. Thanks, thank God, to all the tour managers who recognized that that since Josh is a sound guy, uh, a previously sound guy, he respects 
quiet rooms and stuff like that as opposed to putting us in some thumping room mm-hmm. <laughs> so so it was good it was so it was it was a nice professional interview where two seats in front of me and, and, and a fiend walking around with microphones and they were tired they were hungry you know saying all they wanted was some artichokes or some shit they were trying to get some weird stuff zach and dylan gave us great content they were very down to earth and i have grown to really enjoy those two as people You've gotten to hang out with them a few times. Yes. Since then. Yes. Uh, yes. At Mad Decent Black Party, and when they came, and when they came to DC uh, the last time. I love those two. They're they're they're, they're good people. Let's talk about this tour that you all are on. So, you went from Iowa to Vancouver, correct? Yeah. Is, is this correct, right? Yeah, that's right. Iowa City, Vancouver to here. How many people was on that flight? What flight? The flight from Iowa to Vancouver. Was it just you all? Or the no, it I don't know. It's, there's always connections, but every flight is always full. Always <laughs> like people are always traveling everywhere. It blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, because when, when I saw Iowa, to, I was like, I can't believe this flight even exists. I didn't know people did this. No, we had to fly into Cedar Rapids and then drive to Iowa City. I think some of these people don't even exist. Like they're just <laughs> they're just like automatons. Like they're those Matrix people that aren't actually there. Let's <laughs> theorize that like they're just placeholders. You know what I mean? Like yeah, one time we were in the airport and someone was flying this this helicopter, and this automaton businessman was walking by with his briefcase and he just like stepped on it. This is the end. His programming wasn't anticipating that. He didn't even stop. He just kept going. Like yeah, that's one of those robots. We're in a lot of danger, aren't we? If they find us, they'll kill us, won't they? I think they're all just on standby. They're like, I ain't got nothing to do. Exactly. Might as well go to Iowa City. Our next stop is the corner of 14th and U. We had a great lap around the 14th and U as we discussed the history of that corridor and in U Street in general, and we had it with the greatest trio to do it with. Dan, who is this trio, and why are they important? DJ Shub, DJ NDN, Bear Witness, a tribe called Red, three Canadian indigenous, they call them First Nation, we call them American Indians or Native Americans. Yes, they fought savagely, for they were a primitive people, and self-preservation is a primitive instinct. As Aboriginal people, everything we do is political. You know, there's no, there's no divide between the spiritual, the everyday, the political. It's all part of the same thing. But also, as Aboriginal people, everything has been done in this society to stop us from being here. So just getting up in the morning, putting on your clothes and going and getting a cup of coffee is political because everything's been done to try to stop that. Would you please state your name for the people? I'm Bear Witness. DJ Shub. DJ Indian. This is a tribe called Red in Washington, D.C. These guys combine powwow sounds and electronic production, and their music is so powerful. It's a revelation in the world of dance music that's often, you know, very sterile or very predictable. These guys are bringing it way back, back into time. And it's they're bridging the future and the past, and they're just living it. And they're such down-to-earth, genuine guys. I was absolutely thrilled 
to get this interview. Special thanks have to go out to Guillaume, their manager, and DJ Buddha Blaze, who was taking them out on tour. We were able to see them later on at Tropicalia, which is another great venue along U Street. Uh, and these guys, just ask them one question about who they are or what they're doing, and they just flow. Also, let's talk about the fact the Native American community came out to that show. What do you think, you know, everyday Western society can learn from a tribal culture that has been forgotten? I think you know, where things have ended up now, like especially when you look at North America and Europe and that, you know, that spread of Europe, the way that European culture spread. In Europe, they killed their, their traditional people off. They killed the people off who had the connection to the earth and knew how to live with the earth. You know, and so that, that's something that's long forgotten in this culture now. And Aboriginal people, we still have that connection. We still have that memory. So I think what's coming, we're coming in time now where it's our time to remind people what that connection is, what it means to be of the earth, not only earth. Traditional structures are breaking down, like the financial crisis happened to the whole world and the things that people thought were always going to be true cease to be true. So it seems to be a time to look for these kinds of old lessons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think that's, that's what happened to us during colonization. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, that's that, it's that cycle of just coming around to finish itself or start the next cycle. You know, one thing, one thing that's more than true is that we have to stop the cycle that we're in and find a new a way to be in sync with this planet again. David, we have reached the ultimate moment here in our 2013 Madcap Year in Review. And to kick it off, I think it's appropriate at this moment right now to present you with your Christmas gift. That's right. I walked in here with a package and you didn't know what it was. What do you have in your coat? Don't worry about it. <laughs> this is me smuggling in bread. Don't worry you about it. Through customs. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and you forgot about it. And now, not wrapped. Merry Christmas. Oh, man. Live on the air. Damn it, Daniel. I don't have a gift. <laughs> Open it up. Tell the people what it is. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. We're going we're gonna, to... Ladies and gentlemen, you're going to hear an actual hug take place in the, oh, in the studio. Oh, yeah. You like that? I appreciate that. You're welcome. I owe you something. You really don't. Yes, I do. You've given me the greatest gift of all, and that is your creativity. Don't yeah. worry, this was on sale. <laughs> Regardless, we met Cameron Argon, also known as Big Chocolate, for the first time last October. He was our Halloween special of 2012, and we got along with him so well, he invited us to go to the U Street Music Hall show. We were on stage with this man. It was a great, great time. Ended up loving his music and getting along, along with him personally really well, and he rarely comes to the East Coast. This guy is based now in Seattle. He's from Nevada. And when we heard he was going to be in Philadelphia in March, we were like, that's it. We're taking a trip. We're loading up the Madcap Mobile. It was me and you and Ryan Martinez, our good buddy. And we tell people where we recorded first. Well, we, we, we were hungry. Cameron didn't want Indian. 
Uh, so so we decided let's do so so Dan pitched the idea of of cheesesteaks cheesesteaks his favorite in his favorite venue being Jim's Steaks on South Street so we recorded the whole cheesesteak experience which was pretty fun yeah so what city are we in dude uh, Philadelphia we walk into Jim's Steaks with Ryan Martinez David Ross myself Dan Bloom and Cameron Argon Big Chocolate all right let's talk about this for a second yeah I feel like I should get onions okay so that means with here's how you order. You got three choices of cheese. Provolone, American, or Cheese Whiz. Provolone's the one that tastes not like the least about like cheese, right? I mean that's like the least cheesy cheese. Yeah, isn't but it? Cheese Whiz is like an experience. But I'm like a I'm not a big cheese guy, so provolone's like my jam. Alright, straight. So provolone okay, and let's, onions. let's step aside for one second. So what you wanna do is roll up. Roll up. And you just wanna say provolone with. Fuck with me. Or provolone with. They're not gonna put like mayonnaise on it or anything? No. Just say provolone with. That's it. Provolone with onions. No, no, just with. With what? They know. It's grammatically confusing, but. I, but wait, 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 wait. What I'm does that mean? That, that's what does that mean? That's the ordering I, convention. That means a cheesesteak uh, with provolone cheese and onions. Provolone with. No. Only if you uh, ask for it, which I do. I like a cheesesteak hoagie myself. So the. Why can't I just say, can I have a cheesesteak with onions and provolone? You could, you could say that, but the, the, like, the local ordering convention, is t- you, can only, you can order this with two words. Provolone with, and that's, that's going to be cash it. only, please. That's right. Damn it. I got you, dude. It's on us. Awesome. Fuck with me. Say two provolone with and see what happens. Alright. Yeah. This is your time to shine. You're taking the city tonight. Awesome. I know, right? Yes, sir. Hi, how's it going? Um, two provolone with. <laughs> then we went back to the hotel before Cameron's show. And he laid out some deepness on us. Can I just say something? Yeah. When you when, you, when we were walking down the street and you pulled that mic out, I didn't think that part of the interview was going to be so special until after you hear it. Because I, I remember we were walking, like, put that mic away. What are you doing? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, we're, we're just walking down the street. But that definitely painted a an amazing portrait. And a lot of people really loved that beginning part of the interview because it was unique, very creative, and artistic. And... Because I mean, you, you hear Cameron order a cheesesteak for his first time. And the and giggles. The giggles that come out of him are classic. That was a big moment for him. He and, never had a cheesesteak. And then his giggles uh, begat your giggles, which are always great. And you drank a yoo which was a great move. Who drinks a yoo after eating a cheesesteak? That's, you know, that's the uniqueness of David Ross. You know it's bad when the, when the, when the, when the dude you order from is like, are you serious? <laughs> 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 I'm like <laughs> dead serious. <laughs> yeah, that old Philly look like, bro, you want to do this? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I want you. You were just selling it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Don't I, it's not there for show. <laughs> exactly. And man, I hit that high up. But <laughs> but but no, this is this was definitely a Cameron is Cameron has definitely become a friend of the show and a friend of ours. And we love him. We love we love Jason Rudolph. The thing that struck me about this interview is it was so wide ranging, and it lasted for two hours. And we cut it down to one hour, including your visit with him at Van's Warp Tour, 
in the woods. Alongside the great Ryan Muscolo. Yes. Shout out to Muscolo. <laughs> yeah. But so we had the cheese stick part at the beginning and warp tour at the end. And in the middle, it was probably like 45 minutes cut down from two hours. So we got some really, really great stuff from Cameron, including I thought this is my favorite. If I'm going to probably bring down my top two favorite moments uh, it's probably like Zed's Dead, that interview, and then this portion of the Big Chocolate interview where he talks about the impact of Mitch Lucker's death, his friend, musician and singer Mitch Lucker passing away, and how that impacted him and his view of life. Lately, just in general, like I, I've been thinking about just death a lot, which is a really weird thing to think about, but like I think it's really important to think about dying and just to be okay with it. I'm flying on a plane tomorrow, right? The plane crashes. It's like, what can you do? Like, you just die. I don't know. Like, I so just, by being aware of your that yeah. you will someday die, how does that affect? Being aware your, of your own mortality, I think, really kind of puts it makes things more simple. You're not always scared of dying all the time or whatever. You're you're more focused on like what you want to do in your lifetime than thinking about ways to just put off death. And that's another thing about with death that makes you appreciate life more often, and it makes all the the things that are really important more important. And a lot of like the really kind of like things that don't really matter all of a sudden start to not really matter. And you can't be bothered with a lot of the stuff that you don't want to know about because there's a lot of better things to enjoy. I think the more people think about mortality and death, I think the more positive you get, at least in my eyes. I feel like the best day of my life should be like the day I die. You, you just should live exponentially better. And then you die and then it's done. So Madcap, as we said, has, has made many, many, many new friends. Uh, and it has definitely been a joyous year. And we definitely would like to thank some of these these great people that that have been who have assisted us when we when we greatly needed it and times when we didn't need it who have just been generous uh with their creativity with their their guidance and everything so to, to read off some of the, some of these people we'd love to thank jared rizzi been on a guest as a guest twice yes jill holbrook who has she's also she's also done narration for us angus sutherland he who d- does the segment a scotsman reads for us mm-hmm. and we hope to collaborate with him more in the future yes we got molly and ryan martinez the great duo siblings we got to get ben in here one day true um we also have michael reed aka chops who who dropped some some of his his social commentary in the trayvon martin piece Definitely. yes yes and we have madcap littles <laughs> Ben and Ruby, two that are too close to my heart. <laughs> uh, these are kids that you used to look after as a part-time job, yes. and we brought them into the studio. David wrote some great scripts for them to read, and now, in the beginning of literally every piece that I produce is the beginning of Ben saying, Ladies and gentlemen, what you're about to listen to is an experiment in sound. And the end of every piece I do has Ruby giving the credits. It's the cutest thing in the world. They are two amazing kids that I that have definitely been a brighter spot of my year. So I I, I love those two dearly. Also got to thank Steve's promo. Uh, Steve's promo has been pretty vital in helping us with some of these interviews. 
Big time. Big time. We would not be anywhere close to where we are now without them. <laughs> no, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. I almost feel so indebted to them. It worries me. <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, Elliot, first off, Elliot's always the man on the ground. And uh, a lot of times when there's artists we can't reach, uh, when there's other things, uh, just uh, he's, they've, they've just been so accommodating on site. It's been it's been truly amazing. Yeah. Also got Remarkable. Wait a minute. He also taught you how to make a kugel. Big he, shout out to Elliot and his mom. And his mother taught me how to make a kugel. I killed it. You did. At quite that, quite at delicious. Par- dinner party. People thought the kugel wasn't created by me. They thought I had a Jewish mother somewhere else, but they didn't realize the Jewish mother's love spread into me <laughs> and I funneled it out. Uh, but yes, but other members of Steve's promo, Evan, Evan definitely. Mr. Weinstein. Being a strong supporter. Laser Jew. Yes. Bobby. Bobby Fingles, you know what I'm saying? Rifle shooting Bobby Fingles. <laughs> Don't get in his way. <laughs> and Meg, Meg, Meg has been great to us too. And Bill, wherever you are, Bill, doing yoga like a beast. Exactly. If you ever make it back on the scene, we miss you. Yes, exactly. We uh, the Steve's Promo Fam has been has been a fam that we we really enjoy. Also, we need to thank the engine behind AFI Docs, which is an amazing documentary film festival that is done in Washington D.C. Lauren Selman, who's led us through her doors. Dynamo. <laughs> Dynamo. And her ph- phenomenally talented husband, Scott. Scott, yeah. Jody Arlington. Yeah. Our good friend, Ryan Muscolo. Shout out to Muscolo. Love no- him. Nobody's on the dance floor better than Muscolo. TP, born and raised, yeah, Molly yeah. Ellison. Molly so, Ellison. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to the Republic. Amelie Colwell. <laughs> yeah, Amelie Colwell. Shout out to Amelie Colwell. We had a lot of fun with yeah. that crew. We did, we did, we did. Also, some other places that we'd like to thank were the Fillmore, which is in Silver Spring. The Fillmore has been, again, we've done interviews there, and also need to thank the Black Cat for doing the same, and also need to thank the 930 Club. We've done interviews at TLA in Philadelphia. Yes. Soundgarden Hall in Philadelphia. Yes. And the 8x10 in Baltimore. And Baltimore Soundstage. Baltimore Soundstage. we got a lot of people to thank, man. Echo Stage. Echo Stage has been very good to us. The Donovan Hotel. Yes. Slice was good to yes. us. Yes. Claude Von Stroke and Soul Clap. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about later. But yeah, so, damn. <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> a lot of people, this, is a, this is a community. A lot of people to thank. Uh, Madcap is a village. Yes. Special thanks to some of our photographers that we've worked with, like Jess Leitch, Monica Garcia, Austin Maddert, Carolyn Brown, Luminati. Also, Special thanks to Charles. Got Charles Roberts for his amazing narration. Esther Song. Special thanks to her for giving us some great narration. And finally, have to thank U Street Music Hall, who has put us up to do interviews in their glorious space time and time again. Big thanks to Morgan Tepper, to Chris Nitty, to Ken Lazy, and of course, the head honcho, Will Eastman, who we enjoyed interviewing so much on this show. So let me get this straight. <laughs> you have a, a job at the Smithsonian a master's degree and you're in your 30s and you're gonna leave this job to be a DJ? Audience, you, 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 you. <laughs> I'm talking you, you. Yes. you. Yes, yes, you. It's all about you. You in the sweater. <laughs> you in the cardigan. <laughs> exactly. You with the eyes. <laughs> you with the eyes. In the ears. In the ears. In the feet. Thank you. In the twinkle toes. Thank you for, thank you for listening. And 
of allowing us to shed our our thoughts and our uh, and our hearts and our and, and speak with some interesting people and we will continue to do so until y'all t- actually even if y'all tell us to get the fuck away we won't nope <laughs> we'll just find some new people <laughs> we'll, just find, we'll just find some new yous <laughs> but but yes thank you thank you happy new year Madcap is produced by Dan Boom, David Ross, and Afim Shapiro. MadcapDC.org on Facebook and Twitter at MadcapDC. Find on the Ridge!